Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Before we dive into our teaching for this morning, I just invite you to check out a uh, bulletin at some point in time online or in person while you're here. One of the things I wanted to note is that there are fall Bible studies for women starting on September 25. You can sign up for those right outside here if you're in person, or you can call the church office and we'd be happy to help get you set up for that. Those begin again September 25, and there's some other things that you can read about in there. Um, and I also want to remind you, you can worship through giving by giving online or giving at the boxes at the back this morning. Uh, before we open up into our texts for this morning, uh, would you pray with me? Our Father and our King, um, as, as Brian reminded us this morning, your word says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Father, we thank you that you have been to us a faithful God, that you have met us with what we need this week, and as you have promised to walk with us, God, um, I I pray for, for our hearts and our lives as we go out into another week, as we prepare to be your ambassadors to this world. And God, I pray that you would lead and guide us in your grace. God, that we would walk closely with you We thank you, God, that your presence is always with us, that you never leave, that you never forsake. And Lord, we confess the many ways in our our minds and in our lives that we have uh, sometimes chosen things that are not of you. And God, we come this morning just confessing those things of sin, the sins of pride, the sins of unforgiveness, Lord, the sins of the sins of our hands, the sins of our thoughts, the sins of our minds. And yet, God, we come humbled by you, a God who is rich in mercy and who makes us alive in Christ Jesus. And a God who loves us and meets us in our need. Father, we thank you for the gift of community thank you for the gift of friendships. We thank you for the gift of life in Jesus today. And God, I pray that you would bear the fruit of joy and love, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then through our lives, by the power of the Spirit this week. As we turn our hearts and our minds towards you, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts to set upon your truth, for that is why we are here this morning. We want to hear from you. Be our teacher, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're actually going to be in uh, three primary passages for our morning this morning. Uh, Last week we began a sermon series that I've entitled Ecclesia. Ecclesia is just a fancy Greek word that means 
church. Um, it, it means the witnessing community, people who have a relationship with Jesus and who Jesus has, has come to live and dwell in and commission to be a witness to the world. So the word ecclesia is just the Greek word for church, nothing fancy there, um, but it's a very, very important word. Last week we looked at the very first place in the New Testament where this word is mentioned, and it's in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus says to Peter, one of his disciples, who says, you, Jesus, are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He says, yes, Peter, and upon this rock, upon this Petros, I will build my Petra. I will, I will build my church, or on this rock, on this Petra, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so we talked about what's going on in the context and where they're standing when he says that, because in the next passage, um, Peter wants to try to tell Jesus, Jesus, not that way, about something that Jesus was going to have to do and going to die for sin. And Peter says to, um, or Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, you don't have in your mind the things of God, but the things of man. And then in the next passage, he says, your call, disciples, is to come and to daily die for the sake of my kingdom. And so we looked at that last week and the importance of the church being a hope to the world. And what I want to do this week is I want to look at the subject or the idea or the theme of the whole gospel for the whole person, right? The whole gospel for the whole person. Um, sometimes when we think about salvation, we think about it in just one or maybe two of the different strain, uh, one or two of the different things that bring together what is the fullness of salvation. When we think about the importance of the church to the world and the importance of Christ to the believer's life, I want us to zoom back and say, what does it mean to be saved? Um, one of the questions perhaps that, that you have wrestled with at some point in time, if someone were to ask you the question, what does it mean to be saved, you might have responded, it means to believe that Jesus died and that he rose again and that I will one day go to heaven to be with him. And that is absolutely true and that is an amazing truth of the gospel. But when we think about salvation in its entirety, we, we, we think of this idea of being justified before God through the work of Jesus. Then we look at this idea of being sanctified, being made holy. We, we are made holy, but this process of our life looking more and more like Jesus. So justified, sanctified, and then this last part, glorified. Be, because part of the salvation process is you've been redeemed now in order to serve God, in order to become more like God, but this is not the end. We look forward, and if don't, don't jump there, but if you jump to the end of your Bible, and we studied this last year uh, in the beginning of this year, we look at a story that doesn't end in a broken world, but ends in a redeemed and renewed and new world. John says, behold, there's a new heavens and a new earth in the book of Revelation. And, and that, that new heavens and that new earth doesn't have the taint of sin, it doesn't have the taint of disease, it doesn't have the taint of death. It's a, it's a new world, and it's a new life, and Jesus has made all things new. So when we think about salvation, and when we think about its importance for us, I want to look at that in the whole scope today, um, together. Uh, the mission of the church, and the purpose of the church is directly tied to this. Um, it, is our, it is our opportunity with the 
empowerment of God to proclaim the gospel that Jesus saves, that he brings redemption today, and that he brings ultimate glorification and life in his name. And so I want to look at a couple different passages to help us think about this and what happens when we come to know Christ and what that means for us then as a church to be what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 5, ambassadors for Christ. So that's where we're headed. Um, So Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to start. And I invite you to stand with me in body or in spirit as we read together. We're going to do three different passages, just a couple of short sections from each one. Romans chapter 5, Brian read some of this already this morning, just an amazing couple of verses. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. Hold your finger there and turn over a couple of pages to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to read together verses 19 through 21. Love to hear those pages turning. It's just a beautiful sound. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. For through the law I have died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And finally, um, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, so back a couple of pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The latter part of chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to start in verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. Paul says, From now on then we do not know anyone in a purely human way, even if we have known Christ in a purely human way. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
working together with him, we also appeal to you, do not receive God's grace in vain. For he says, I heard you in an acceptable time and I helped you in the day of salvation. Look, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word to us as we walk through these passages today. Teach us what it means that we are new in Christ. Teach us what it means that we have been reconciled to you through faith. Lord, teach us what it means that you've given us the cause to become ambassadors for you, our, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So, as we look at these passages, they talk about, often, about being made new. 2 Corinthians 5, the last one, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. When we look at salvation, there is something amazing that happens in the gospel. There's something amazing that happens in what Jesus has done. Literally, we have become new people in Christ, in the Messiah Jesus. Why would we have to be made new? Um, and I just want to set this up so that we see the, the story of the Bible. In, in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, God makes everything and it is good. And he makes human beings in his image and he says, well, this is very good. And humans, Adam and Eve in particular, um, that are mentioned in the book of Genesis there, the, the two alive people made in the image of God at that time, they, they were whole people who encountered an unhindered relationship with God, right? It, it says in, in the book of Genesis that God walked amongst them in the cool of the day. They, they had this unhindered relationship with God, meaning their bodies were not tainted by sin, right? They didn't stub their toe on a tree and go, ow. They, they didn't have the effects of cancer. They didn't have the effects of a broken and fallen world on their bodies. They also had a mind and a will and emotions that was rightly regulated in relationship with God. It was untainted by sin, right? They also had a, a, a spirit who was in fellowship with God, in relationship with God, and God met in perfect measure all of their needs, and they trusted him to meet all of their needs. Their needs for value, their needs for love, their needs for acceptance and gratefulness, in Genesis chapter 3, um, sin enters the world. And sin enters through Adam and Eve choosing to um, not trust God's perfect provision. They, they, they choose to go out on their own to make gods for themselves in the sense of, wait, shouldn't we have this standing that God has? Sh shouldn't I be able to take of this tree that God said, don't take of the tree? In fact, God says, on the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. So Eve takes the fruit. Adam takes the fruit. They take of it. They sin against God. Sin enters the world. Brokenness enters the world. Their perfect, unhindered relationship with God is now fractured by a lie that said, don't you know that if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God's. 
Adam and Eve take of this fruit, and all of a sudden, it, you know, the text says that on the day you eat of this, you will surely die. That's in Genesis uh, 2.17 where God says that. Uh, on that day, their bodies began to die, right? God actually separates them from eating of the tree of, knowledge, or, or the tree of life because he says you can't eat of this fruit because you eat of this, and this will kind of keep your body going is, is my understanding of it. And, and so he separates them from the tree of life. Their bodies begin the process. Now they lived several hundred years, as scripture says, but there began the process of dying. Their, their, their mind, their will, their emotions are affected by their mutiny against God. Um, lies enter into the world more and more. Um, choosing to live apart from God and instead living according to self um, brings in all sorts of falsehoods and lies that, that separate them even more from one another and, and that cause great, great harm within their relationships. Um, not only that, it, they're, they're spiritually dead. Um, in the New Testament, Paul uses two phrases to, to talk about what happens with the new life versus what happens with the old life. You know, so in the beginning, everything was good, perfect relationship with God. He says that after sin enters the world, the phrase he uses is th that we're all born into Adam. And then he says to be born again is to be born in Christ. So what's going on here? There's a death that happens in the garden. And that's the separation of our lives from God. It's a separation by sin, and as a result of sin, every person born into the world enters the world, except for the Messiah, have been separated by God, or separated from God through sins. Sins of omission and sins of volition. Things that we've chosen to do, things we've chosen to believe, things we have acted upon. But not only that, we, we have been separated by God because we've been born into sin. That, that's what it means simply to be born in Adam. E everything that follows from Adam is just broken. And you and I were broken and we're born into a world that is broken. And so we come into this world as living beings trying to make sense of the chaos and the disruption around us because we weren't meant to live this way. God created us to live in perfect harmony with him. So what happens then is that we uh, needed a savior. In fact, I like that um, Brian mentioned this morning an incredible passage that we read today. In Romans chapter five, it says, for while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus comes into this world not to save pretty good people, but to save absolutely helpless people who have no hope, who have no life, who are separated from God spiritually, who are separated from God physically, but we were helpless, and it's at that moment that Christ died for us. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. You and I didn't deserve it. <laughs> we, we, we didn't. But God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in Jesus Christ will not perish, but they will have eternal life. This idea, what, of the, what is the gospel? It is a once for all payment for sin to save people and to restore them into a relationship with God. 
When I ask you, what does it mean to be saved? This is a fuller understanding of this because it's not I'm just saved from my sin and one day I'll be with God. It's that I'm actually saved because I had no hope, no life, no chance without him. Not only that, I'm restored. One of the words that came up multiple times in our reading this morning is this word reconciliation. And we'll look at that in a, in a few minutes. But reconciliation basically means to, to have an exchange of hostility for friendship. It, it's a relational word that happens. To be reconciled means that I now have a relationship with God. It, it means that I now have life in Jesus Christ. And, and we're saved not just to one day be in his presence. We are saved to live in relationship with him now. And it's actually through that relationship that we can bear fruit to the world as his ambassadors. So what happens then in this process of salvation? Um, again, Romans 5.12. We died. We needed a savior and it says in verse 8, Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more since we have been declared righteous, or you could put the word, the, the big scrabble word there, justified. Since we have been justified, uh, declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, what I want you to notice here is what comes next. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will, will, be, will we be saved by his life? It, it's an interesting phrase there because we normally would talk about being saved by his death and his resurrection. But here Paul is getting another kind of a fuller picture of what is salvation by saying that we have actually been saved by his life. We've been justified by his death, right? Amen. We've been justified by his death. We've been made righteous, declared righteous through our trust in Jesus, the Messiah's death and his blood shed for us to atone for our sin. But it says here that we are saved by his life. What does this mean? Uh, I'll confess to you, I think I'm still figuring out what this means. Because it's an interesting thing to be saved, to, to, to be delivered, to be rescued by the life of Christ. For, for so much of my years, I, I would have thought, man, it's one thing to say, hallelujah, I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. There's a great song we, uh, we, we've sung before, uh, sang some growing up, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, redeemed, da 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 da, -da. his child and forever I am. Yeah, I got most of the words. Someone will tell me later, correct me what those words are. <laughs> this idea of redemption, amen, we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb because we needed an atonement offering, a once-for-all atonement offering. But Paul is tapping into something here that it's not, on the one hand, it is the atonement offering that redeems you and saves you. And on the other hand, there is a next section of salvation that is dependent upon Christ's life. That depends on him being alive today. That depends upon relationship with him. To be saved by his life 
is an aspect of salvation that perhaps we should think about some. Um, Now, Paul will go on to address that a little bit more in Romans um, 6 through 8, but what I want to do is kind of begin to address this idea of life by going to Galatians chapter 2. Um, because we get in Galatians chapter 2 a picture of life. We, we get a picture of, of, of life in the present and life in the future. Uh, love this verse where it says, I have been crucified with Christ, right? Th- this is the picture of death. In, in fact, there, there's the idea here that in Christ's death, we have died when we become followers of his. Paul will say in Romans chapter 6, and we say this when we, um, when we celebrate baptisms, you are buried in the likeness of his death, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. And here Paul says it this way. Uh, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. My old person has died. Because what has been separated from God was this old man, this old person who is in Adam, who is broken by the fall. I've been crucified with Christ, but Christ lives in me. So now there's a promise made, given to the believer, that we're no longer uh, on our own, but actually Christ comes in, and he comes in to live and to dwell in us. Throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, one of the ideas that goes through them is that, is that there is going to be a new covenant. And that new covenant was going to promise the Holy Spirit. A, a spirit who would, who would cause us to walk in God's ways. Who would give us power and who would give us um, strength for living the Christian life. And that's what Paul is referring to here. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. My old person no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. In other words, God has come to take up residence. He has come to give me his spirit, right? My body is still subject to the world's um, aging, the world's um, disease, and ultimately the world's death. When, When I look at my soul and I think about my mind and my will and emotions, I have the ability still to make decisions that may or may not be in line with the truth of who God is and what he has revealed. But when Paul says, I've died to the old way of living. And now Christ lives in me. It means that I've taken on a new identity. It means that you have taken on a new identity that is no longer described as being in Adam. No longer described as being separated from God. But it's an identity that is now in the Messiah Jesus where he becomes your life, where he becomes your wisdom, where he becomes your strength, where he becomes everything that you and I need for life and godliness comes through the life of Christ. I, Paul says, the old man have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He has a new regenerated spirit, the spirit of God, to bring him life. But Paul received this new life. He he received this new life on a road to a place called Damascus, where in doing a whole bunch of religious stuff, the Lord appears to him and says, Paul, or Saul, his Hebrew name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And on that day, he comes face to face with the Holy One, the Messiah of Israel. He comes face to face with the gospel as it's revealed to him. He comes face to face with, through his trust and his um, confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he no longer lives. But now he has a, a God who lives within him a God who has come near, a God who has come to save, to restore, to rescue, and to empower him for his very life. Paul no longer lives, but Christ now lives in Paul. Paul has received a new identity, and it's a new identity, not just for the future, but it's a new identity for Paul's present, and it's a new identity if you're in Christ for now. So so what does it mean then to have Christ live in us, right? What what does it mean that Christ lives in you and in me? What what does this look like? In Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to just summarize this really briefly, but in Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, Paul is having this conversation and he says to the believers in Rome, he says to them, In verse 11, so you two, I want you to consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus. He wants them to to know a positional truth about who they are. They're to reckon themselves or to consider themselves. When they look at their lives, they're to account themselves as being dead in the old man, but now alive to God in Christ Jesus because God has come to take up residence within them. Romans 6.11. Secondly, he says to them, I want you to offer yourselves to Jesus Christ. To, to offer yourselves has this idea of have your life be about the purposes of God. Set your heart and your mind towards God and say, Lord, here I am. Sometimes we sing the hymn, it's been a while perhaps, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Um, This is perhaps one of the hardest things of the Christian walk because um, there's a lot of things where I think I'm wise, I think I'm smart, and I've done things a certain way for so long that it's just habit. Well, of course you would do it that way. Of course I would want to experience it in this measure. Here he says, though, I want you to offer yourselves to Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 12, he's going to say the same thing. He's going to say, present your, your, your whole lives to God, and this is your spiritual act of worship. He's going to say, don't be conformed to the, to the patterns and stuff of this world, but be transformed, which is a passive, which means it's something that has to be done to us, and it's done to us by God. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may be able to test and to approve what God's perfect and and his good and pleasing will is, right? Reckon, consider yourselves dead to sin. The power of sin no longer has a hold on the believer because of Christ. But we have a volitional choice to offer ourselves to Jesus Christ. This is what it means for us to know and to walk in and with Christ. Then he says, in the next verse, he says, By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. And I love his clarification here because we can't put to death the deeds of the body just on our own. He says here, by the Spirit, with the help of God, with the power of God, with the presence of God in your life, put to death the deeds of the body. Put to death the things that you used to do in your own strength. 
the Christian life is not about inactivity. It's about dependent activity on the one who wants to fill you and empower you for his good purposes. Offering yourself to God is probably one of the hardest things you and I will ever do because it means that we have to lay down our agenda and we have to walk in faithfulness in the power of God to say, all right, Lord, what, does, what, what do you want me to do here? Peter struggled with this, right? In the passage we looked at last week in Matthew 16, I mentioned it briefly already. He comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, you're not going to die. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to be raised. Like, that's not part of the agenda. And Jesus says to him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he, he calls him an adversary because Peter is thinking about the things of God and not the things of man, Right? Sorry, he's thinking about the things of man, not the things of God. I knew it didn't sound right. Peter is thinking about the things of man, not thinking about the things of God. The idea of offering yourself to God is to say, Lord, I don't want to think about the things of man. I want to think about what your plans and what your purpose is and what you would have me do here is. This is one of those things, by the way, that's a continual thing. It's not, a, it's not a one and done. It's not a 8 a.m. every day and then forget it the rest of the day. This is a continued process of saying, all right, right, Lord, how do I respond to this person who I'm talking to on the phone right now? I got nothing. It, it might be uh, w- one time we were at a sports um, at a sports thing for one of our kids. This is a while ago. And there was a pretty bad bad conflict that broke out between some of the people there. We're like, oh, let's get away. You know, um, what does it look like in that moment? Lord, how would you have me be used of you in this moment for your glory? Like, what does faithfulness look like here? What, what, what does trust look like here? What does the, the hope of Jesus look like in flesh and in bone through me? Your life lived through me here. So, reckon yourselves dead to the power of sin, alive to the Messiah, Jesus. Offer yourself, your mind, your will, and emotions, your body to Jesus. Ask God to reveal his perspective on living through the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. Have this renewal of the minds. Then put to death by the Spirit the deeds of the body. And finally, there's this response of faith. And faith is... Um, at its core, it's, it's seeing the world and seeing everything the way that God sees it. it it's, it's responding out of a yieldedness and a surrenderedness of our life to say, God, I don't want to see this the way Jeremy does, and I don't want to respond out of the way Jeremy would. I want to live and move and have my being in you, and Lord, would you give me direction here through your word and your spirit? God, God would you, you teach me what this means? to walk in faith. God, would you empower me to walk in faith? See, when a person becomes new in Christ, the fruit of their life begins to reflect a different set of priorities. Christ's priorities, his values, his purposes. Because as the believer latches on to Christ, Jesus John says in his gospel, in John 15, he says, uh, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot 
produce fruit in and of itself. If you, if you, if you cling on to me, I'm paraphrasing here, he says, if you cling on to Christ, Christ will produce the fruit that he wants to produce in your life. The, the purpose of a believer, the, the, the work of a believer is to present yourself to God and say, all right, Lord, what fruit for your kingdom do you want to bear through me? What, what does that look like for me, Lord, here today? The idea is this. Believers cannot produce fruit apart from Christ, right? We cannot produce fruit apart from abiding in the vine. When it says in Romans chapter five that we are saved by his life, part of this salvation process that includes our sanctification and ultimately our glorification is this fruit that God produces in you and me as we latch on to him, right? And the reason it's life, or one of the reasons it's life is because our hope and, and our purpose is to be faithful in our walk with him, to, to, to be obedient, to be responsive in our walk with him because this is a relationship. It's one thing for someone to, let me, let me put it this way. Uh, when, when I was a kid, I remember breaking something of, of my parents. Now, I did not fess up right away. I, I didn't. What I did was I, I took the broken goods and I hid them behind a bookshelf. <laughs> Years later, and I was even asked, like, what happened to this? And I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Um, years later, I remember having a conversation with one of my parents and finally fessing up. Yeah, you remember that thing? Yeah, I broke that. Now, they forgave me. They forgave me. But what sin does is it, is it hampers the relationship. What God wants to do in your life is he wants you and I to experience not just the hope that one day we will be forever with the king. And if you're in Christ, that is a sure thing. He wants you and I to experience the walk that is unhindered by any other thing. He wants you to experience life. He wants you to experience the joy of knowing who you are, knowing whose you are, and the joy of dependent living on your Father, right? Th this is where dependence is just so key. And it's, it's not dependence so that I can then go out and do it in my own strength. All right, God, I got it, and now I'm going to go just muscle it down. No, it's, it's going to be this constant walk of, of saying, God, you want me to do that. I don't know how to conjure up um, I don't know how to conjure up um, love or patience or kindness in me. I could try to muster all I want. And, and in fact, I, I think as believers, we try often to manufacture. We try often to make the right decisions and we do so saying, I will be kind, I will be kind, I will be patient, I will be loving. And it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work long term. Because all of a sudden you hit the person, you're like, nope, absolutely not. <laughs> but the life of Christ is given to us so that we can love those whom are easy to love and those whom are difficult to love. The, lo the life of Christ is given to us to care about the needs of people whom are so easy to care for. 
and those who provide a great extra grace required challenge. No one knows what I'm talking about, I'm sure. Right? Um, so, so what then does this mean for us as a church? Uh, what, what does this mean for us as an ecclesia? What, what, what does fruit look like for the body of Messiah? And to do that, I want, I want to go now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to hone in for the next couple minutes here on this idea of reconciliation. Reconciliation, again, it's another one of those big scrabble words that means to have an exchange of hostility for friendly relationship, uh, to have a reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. Most of us in here know exactly what a broken relationship feels like in the world, right? we've, We've experienced it. We've experienced it at work, we've experienced it at school, we've experienced it in our family. We know, what, we know what brokenness feels like. Reconciliation is the process of exchanging that hostility that, that describes that relationship and moving it into friendship. Uh, here's the way that the word is used in 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, it says this, Therefore, this is verse 17, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Look, new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Right? Notice it says, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself. When Adam and Eve sinned, when you and I sinned, God did not sin. (laughs) But God is a God who says, I'm going to make you new and I'm going to bring you back to myself. Do we deserve it? No. Could we earn it? No. We're justified. We're declared righteous by faith in Jesus' death on the cross and his blood paid for us. We are reconciled by God. If you're in Christ today, this is God's work in you. Not just to save you so that one day you'll be in relationship with him in heaven. To save you so that today you will be in relationship with him. Today, in in relationship is not like I have however many friends on whatever favorite social media platform I have, right? That's not friendship. Friendship is a deep abiding relationship characterized by trust, characterized by unconditional love. God has reconciled us to himself. And he says he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So for us as a people of God, it means that we have a a, a work that God is wanting to do in and through us for the sake of our families, for the sake of the world. And that is to be reconcilers. Um, One of my favorite teachers, his name is Dr. Dwight Pryor, um, he he talked about this juxtaposition of uh, justification and reconciliation. And both are both are important, both, both matter, and, and it's not an either-or thing. A justification, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm using some of his material here, justification emphasizes a, a forensic model, right? You have been declared righteous by God. Reconciliation, though, he says we can think of it as a, f- a familial model, right? It's one thing for my parents to say, Jeremy, we forgave you that you broke that, <laughs> It's another thing for them to come over and say, 
where do you want to go eat tonight? It's another thing to have a relationship with them that is restored. Justification, I'm going to give you kind of uh, two different lists. I'm going to talk about justification for just a minute and then reconciliation for just a minute so we can compare and contrast. And this isn't either or. This is when we talk about salvation, this is both and. Justification is a judicial or forensic model. Reconciliation emphasizes a familial model. Justification um, emphasizes a transaction made by God. Reconciliation, he says, is a relationship which we enter into with God. Justification emphasizes redemption. Reconciliation emphasizes restoration. Justification, he says, emphasizes imputation. In other words, to be uh, reckoned or considered righteous. But reconciliation has this idea of impartation. In other words, we have the life of Christ given to walk in his righteousness. Um, Justification emphasizes a declaration. Upon trusting Christ, for example, I am declared righteous through his blood. Reconciliation emphasizes participation. We, we share now in the Father's love. Christ is now in us. Justification emphasizes the work of the cross for us. Reconciliation emphasizes the work of the cross in us. Jesus says to Peter and to his disciples, you're going to die every single day. That's the work of the cross in us. God, I, I, I lay down my agenda because I want to enter into your life. Justification emphasizes a remedy for sin and guilt. Reconciliation emphasizes a, a renewal of covenant relationship with God. Justification emphasizes righteousness being viewed as a legal standing. Reconciliation Uh, emphasizes right actions and covenant relationships. And right actions are the fruit of Christ's life in us. Justification emphasizes or views God as a judge. And and he is a holy and he is a righteous judge. Reconciliation emphasizes or sees God not primarily as a judge, but primarily as a father. Go back to the story of um, Uh, most people call it the prodigal son. I call it the story of the father with two lost sons because what you catch in that that story that Jesus tells is this amazing love that the father has for his son who has chosen a path that is far off. He is both spiritually and emotionally and physically distant from the father. And also a son who is right in his house who is spiritually distant emotionally, and not physically distant, but definitely distant in terms of his relationship with the Father. And how we see in that amazing story, the Father cares about both of his two lost boys. Justification emphasizes God's holiness. Reconciliation emphasizes God's mercy. Justification emphasizes eternal life in the future. And reconciliation emphasizes eternal life now in knowing Jesus Christ. John 17, 3. Finally, justification emphasizes and it looks for the attainment of glory. 
Reconciliation, on the other hand, um, looks, emphasizes and looks towards the incarnation of glory. In other words, Messiah in you, plural, the hope of glory. And I don't want to say one is good and one is bad because that's not true. They're both good. <laughs> Justification is an amazing truth of the scriptures and so is reconciliation. And here, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, he's saying, you're a new creation. New things have come because old things have passed away. Everything is from God who reconciled us. This, this picture of relationship. He reconciled to us through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. The message of reconciliation is that not only can you be saved from your sins, justification, but you can be brought into a right relationship with a God who loves you. Some of us need to hear today that God loves us. Because we've believed lies and we've believed messages that we are unlovely, that we are unworthy. We just need to take into account that God has declared his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus showed us the measure of his love. He was all in. Um, there's a rabbinical saying, and I can't remember who it's from, um, that says, before you teach a child to love God, you must first teach a child that God loves them. Before you teach a child to love God, you must first teach a child that God loves them. You are loved. Despite anything you've done, despite anything you've said, anything you've thought, you are loved by the Father. He wants to come in and he wants to transform your life and to make you more like himself. He wants to give you new life today. But always know this, you are loved by God. God wants to restore things back to the way that they were and he wants his people to be part of that restoration process. So as Christ is our life, he wants us to be people through whom he has a ministry of reconciliation. In fact, he's going to say this in verse 20. Therefore, we are God's ambassadors for Christ. We are certain that God is appealing through us. Paul is saying that about himself as he's writing to the Corinthian church, but he's also saying this to the Corinthian church. He wants them to know, as he has come to understand, he is, he's an ambassador for Christ. He, he's one who goes out there to represent Christ. In fact, the idea behind being an ambassador in the ancient world was to be a person who has a direct commission from the emperor. They would go and they would, they would speak and they would act on behalf of the emperor into the province in which they were told to go. And they were there to declare the arrangements of peace with, with a people who were vanquished or a people who were being conquered. They were to go in there and say, here are the expectations for peace. And so this is the picture that Paul is pulling from here. Paul regards himself as a commissioned ambassador with a by Jesus Christ for the work of ministry. 
and he, ex- he, he has this picture also for the church. He says to them, he says, be reconciled to God. God is reconciling the world to himself. Be ambassadors for Christ. God is appealing through us. Paul thinks in, in, of himself in these terms, says one scholar, as a man who brings to others the terms of God whereby they can become citizens of his empire and members of his family. Paul saw himself as an ambassador for Christ, a yielded man to the purposes and to the plans of God, whatever the cost to him personally. And actually, if you keep reading in chapter 6, you'll find out that his ministry is marked by endurance and affliction and hardship and difficulty, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, purity, um, knowledge, patience, kindness by the Holy Spirit. He, he gives this kind of report, and you'd read, whoa, Paul, you were willing to give all that? He was willing because he was yielded to Christ, and Christ was living through Paul. I don't think Paul, strong and determined as he was, could have endured the things that God led him through were Christ not his life and were his passion to not be a reconciler. So church, you and I, as we think about this idea of ecclesia, and we'll talk more about ecclesia next week, but as you and I think about our role in this world, here are some, some kind of closing thoughts. You and I are commissioned by the king for his service. Not only are we commissioned, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. God wants to make his plea to the world through you and through me. This is part of the fruit that he wants to bear in our lives today. I'm not asking you to go say, I'm going to go be a better Christian. Please don't. (laughs) What I'm asking you on behalf of God is number number one, know that you are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, yield yourself to God. Yield yourself to God. God, here I am now. I don't know what you're stepping into this afternoon, nor do I know what you're stepping into tomorrow or later this week. God knows that. You may have an idea, but I invite you to step into that, not in a, here's what I have to get out of this, not in a, here's what my agenda is, but with a posture that says, Lord, what do you want? What does love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, God, I'm, I'm anxious to see how you bear that fruit in my life. Present yourself to God. Yield. Be like what Jesus taught Peter. And I think Peter took a long time to learn, as many of us do. Have in your mind, as you present yourself to God, have in your mind a, Lord, wherever you lead, I will follow. Whatever you call me to, God, with your help, I will be faithful. Whatever hard things you do, God, I know that, or whatever hard things you ask me to do, I know that I can do all those things through Christ who gives me strength. I invite you to bow your heads with me this morning. Father, would you reveal by your spirit right now 
areas in our life where we are not yielded to you. Lord, these may be areas of our thought life. These may be addictions or sins that we're holding on to because they provide a measure of comfort or they provide a measure of importance to us. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that we, we've been saved by grace through faith. This is the gift of God, not of works. We cannot boast. But God, we, we've been saved by your life. And as you reveal these things to us, we yield our lives for your purposes. Lord, teach us what it means this week to abide in you. We don't want to worry about fruit, God. We want to be concerned and focused and intentional about abiding because you will produce fruit as we abide and we remain in relationship with you. And now, Lord, as we prepare to enter into a world that seeks to and has taught us to um, find life and meaning and purpose in another way, equip us, fill us by your Spirit to be your ambassadors that proclaim the wonders of the cross, what Christ has done for us, in the wonders of the cross, what Christ is doing in us as we live in and with and for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.